This is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. Okay, today I'm really excited to have back on the show one of my favorite guests, my brother, Levi Morehouse. Levi, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be here. So before we get as into, uh, thank you. I'm glad you threw in the as always before <laughs> before we get to uh, today's topic, which is um, everyday accounting for life and business, which I'm really really excited about. We get we need an update because you were on the show before your company Ceteris, um raised any venture capital, and then you were on again right after you raised your first round. You have since raised a second round, um, bringing your total of like you raised like what 10 million in a single year. What's the status of the company right now? What's going on? How are you guys growing? And, um, you know, what are your biggest uh, challenges and opportunities? Sure. No, great question. Um, so, yeah, back when we first decided to raise money, if, uh, you know, we'd, we'd run the business as a bootstrap business for about eight years um, and always grown at a pretty good clip, but realized the opportunity to grow was, was a lot greater if we could bring in some institutional capital. And essentially, our business is to provide automated accounting and benchmarked financial reporting to small business entrepreneurs. And we just realized the impact we could have if we invested in our technology to make it better, as well as in our sales and marketing efforts, we could reach more of the market a lot faster. So we went and did that. It was last May. So I don't know, a little over a year ago. Um, and as you said, since then, we, we raised $4 million initially. We raised another $6 million, uh, a few months back, about a year after that first raise. And what we've been able to do is exactly what we talked about. We have this belief that accounting and bookkeeping, the way it's always been done, is is antiquated. And with modern technology, mostly the cloud paired with things like machine learning, AI, those kind of technologies are going to make bookkeeping the way it's always been done with a person entering information something obsolete. And enterprises have a lot of that. Even the personal markets have a decent amount of that with some of these finance apps and whatnot. But the small business market has been dramatically underserved in that way. There's a lot of great tools, but there's really not any solutions just doing that for small businesses. Uh, we'd been doing it manually. We decided to raise some money so we could start building the technology to do that in an automated fashion. Uh, so since then, we've had a lot of success building that automation and also just attracting and getting our solution in front of thousands of small business entrepreneurs that we now, um, you know, have, have as customers and we're able to help them run a better business every day. So you've got well over a hundred employees. Now you're like a fortune 5,000 company two years in a row now, I think growing fast. Um, is your daily life just completely different than it was, um, you know, a couple of years ago? Com completely different for eight years. My daily life changed tiny percentages year over year and it's changed i am 98 percent doing different things than i was 12 months ago wow. um we were you know went from one employee to 30 employees over eight years and went from 30 to 110 over the next 12 months um most importantly the the leadership team i have around me um has been able to, you know, we've been able to invest in that and build it, bring in a great set of leaders within each department, um, which is just amazing. They're all better, so much better at their department than I could ever be. And it's just really leverages things up. So it's been a, it's been a really good year. Well, if anybody Very challenging, there, a lot of work, but a lot of fun. 
all the best things are. If anybody out there uh, owns a small business, a franchise especially, which is your current niche, check out uh, Ceteris, C-E-T-E-R-U-S.com. They might be the solution for you. So today's topic, you mentioned that you have changed what you do 98%, but I'll tell you something that doesn't ever change, which is so comforting. Accounting. Now, the way that you do it and the tools that we use, as you mentioned, uh, are changing rapidly, which is awesome. It makes it more efficient. But I was just talking to my friend, Harris Kenny, who's also been on this show. He's the president of a 3D printing company. And we were talking about, you know, all this stuff we're doing in our companies with sales and marketing and all these things that are so, it's like nailing jello to a tree. They're very like, I don't know, is this campaign working? Is it, what are the returns on this? It's very hard to measure to tell. And he said, you know, I feel so relaxed and calmed when I just do some accounting for a little bit. I enter my (laughs) safe space because accounting is true. The numbers just add up. You spend this much. And sometimes you don't like what the numbers tell you, but they just tell you the truth. And there's (laughs) there's something very cathartic about that. So I want to dive into accounting basics that can be helpful for people, even if they are not number cruncher types, uh, which I am not. Excellent. That's a one of my favorite things to talk about. So um, let's start. And I want to kind of break it into two two different things. One sort of for personal life and then one for business, um, especially if you own a business. But even if you're sort of, you know, working in a company and you kind of see yourself as interested in the business's long-term success and, and sort of taking an ownership uh, mindset. So let's, well, first let me ask you personally, when did you discover that you love accounting or just sort of tracking finances and stuff? Cause I know it was before you studied it in college or professionally went into it. You were running spreadsheets on your, you know, expenses and stuff when you were young. When, when did you sort of realize that you loved that? Yeah, no, it's, it's a, another a good question. So I, I had a, a service job back when I was in high school. Um, I worked for a guy that, you know, did service work, installed cables. You worked with me there um, for a number of years. But anyway, I don't, I don't even remember how it happened. I must have put off an incredibly nerdy vibe or something, because um, this small business owner said, "I need some help with my books." You know, when we get back from the job each day or each, you know, a couple times a week, could you go and take this? He handed me a box that he bought at Office Depot. It was QuickBooks, like. It was before they were even putting years on it. I think it was like QuickBooks 3.0 or something like that. It was really, really old school, small business accounting software. He goes, put this on the computer and like, can you help me figure this stuff out? And again, this was before I had any business training or accounting training or anything else. I I was always pretty good at basic math. (laughs) Um, So anyway, I jumped in and I started doing it. And and to your point, I, and his stuff was, you know, like so many small business owners, it was very chaotic. You didn't, you know, mail would come in and you're just trying to sift through it all. But there was this absolute beauty in putting things into the ledger system, um, recording them, tracking them, running reports, looking at things over time. You know, so I, I really started to enjoy it then. Even, even with that, though, I, I had zero intention of ever being an accountant. You know, I, I just thought that's – I'd always heard horror stories. Our dad was, was a CPA. I'd heard how bad the CPA exam was, and I just thought I want nothing to do with that. It sounds awful. Um, so I kind of I like that practical side of it from a small business angle, you know, from a very early age. But I never really considered the profession. Um, I went to community college, didn't know what I wanted to do, knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, had a total burning desire for that from you know like high school. 
but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I decided to get a business degree. Um, and I took my first accounting class just on that general business degree course. And I actually loved it. I was like, this is really, really cool. Debits and credits and journal entries. And again, things that people absolutely hate. It shows what kind of guy I am to hang out with on the weekend. Um, (laughs) but it was, it was really exciting to me. And I said, okay, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to get an accounting degree, try to get a CPA designation, you know, as I try to figure out what I want to do. Um, so it kind of evolves with me, but the, the actual love of like putting the numbers in place and reviewing them and just kind of that, what I love about it is unlike really advanced maths and sciences, it's very, very common sense. Um, and I think most people, even them, those who are very non-educated in accounting, we work with so many entrepreneurs around the country, many of whom have no business education. They get a lot of what matters from accounting and not at a super deep technical level, but like 90, 95% of accounting is quite simple. The other 5% is very complex and tricky and is very necessary for public companies and you know all that kind of stuff. But so much of it is really core, kind of common sense. And, and it's really kind of a beautiful thing. So, so, so let me, um, let me ask you to quickly do a definitional or a distinction for us. What is the difference between finance and accounting? So, you know, there's not a a black and white way to say that in my mind, I really like to look at it as, as these two things and finance can be all kinds of things, investing and blah, this and that. But as I look at it from the perspective of say a small business owner or somebody that works in small business or whatnot, um, accounting it's like you're, let's pretend you're driving in a car. Accounting is looking in the rearview mirror at where you've gone and what you've done, what turns you've taken, what's behind you. So it's already happened. Finance is looking to the future and trying to know which turns to take, how to, how to drive, when to accelerate, when to slow down, et cetera. So finance is lining up money before you need it, um, looking at interest rates. How is this going to help me long term? Which product do I invest in in order to get the best return? Accounting is looking backwards and saying, based on those act- those inputs I'd made, how did the outputs actually turn out? So finance relies heavily on accounting. Um, by looking back at what's happened, it helps you inform your decisions going forward. And as technical as that sounds, it can be really, really simple. Uh, especially again, we are we absolutely love. I love setters here. We cater to the small business entrepreneur, and. That can be really little things, but if you give it that thought process of what am I trying to do going forward and do, is my system set up so I can keep track of how it actually turns out so I can inform what to try next time. You know, maybe that marketing campaign I thought was going to be great and it looked great and four people said, I love this. So I thought it was amazing, but maybe my sales went down the next three months. If you're not keeping tabs on those kind of things you can lose track and then you can go with subjective measures, which again, it's, you know, there's a lot of great gut sense in entrepreneurs, but we just think informing that gut sense with actual tangible, you know, properly accounted for results gives you, gives you a better view. So I think I'm a much uh, slower learner on these things than you are. I, I'll never forget when I think you, you and I were with some neighbors doing a lemonade stand and I don't know how old I was, six, seven, eight, something like that. And we're trying to sell lemonade and make all this money. And there's maybe four of us involved. And I was so excited that we're like making more and more money. Like I went and got 10 bucks of my own money and like put it in the pot to make the the total (laughs) higher. And then at the end it was like, we made 60 bucks and we like distributed it for me. And then I remember being like, CEOs go to jail for that. I remember being like, Oh, Oh, wait a minute. I, okay. I walked away with more than the 10 bucks I brought in, but 
not more like I walked away with say 12 bucks but so did everyone else I only profited two like but it took me a minute to get, and it, I was thinking of that because my son was doing a sandwich business selling sandwiches actually to to your employees and some you know, office workers. Those are very popular, by the way. Well, and he was like all excited and he was thinking sort of what, what, what you would say finance. Okay. So dad, what if we had another kind of sandwich and then we charge this much and he's like projecting like, you know, then we'd make a bunch more money and whatever. And I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on. We need to uh, do some accounting on what you've done so far. What did you buy? How much did we spend on your stuff? And you go look at it and you're like, you know, oh, well, you're not really making money on, you know, this item anyway. So like, let's not project for the future until we actually know what's been going on. You know, are you actually making money? And it's, it's surprising how a creative person and a person who's not super organized, if a check comes in and you're like, look, I made money, right? Like me with that lemonade stand or my son with the money, it's really easy to just keep moving ahead with your big visions. And if you don't actually sit there and account for like everything, (laughs) you may not be making money at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's a, it's crazy, but over half of the small business failures in this country are because people are not keeping track of their books, whether it's inaccurate reporting or there's some fraud going on or something with their books they're selling plenty of product. They might be selling the wrong thing or for the wrong price or managing things. You know, it, it, it's amazing to me that so much of something as simple as keeping track of things can honestly be truly life and death for many, many businesses. Well, it gets more and more important too when you're, when you have, you know, uh, people that pay you for your services might pay you 30, 60, 90 days later, your costs may be 30, 60, 90 days earlier than the service was rendered. And it's like, you know, the timing of everything just gets. So absolutely. Let's get to the personal level first before we go to the business level. Mm-hmm. What would you say? Do you have a couple key, like two to three principles that even non number cruncher types can really benefit from when they apply them to kind of their personal life and personal budget? Um, the personal side, I don't, I don't put a ton into it. There's a lot of people out there that the Dave Ramsey's and this and that, um, to me, you know, if you're, if all else is equal, make more than you spend, (laughs) um, do some basic, very conservative calculations of how much you're going to need to live your life out after you want to stop earning money and save accordingly. Um, but I am very entrepreneurial at heart and I'm a, big time risk taker. And I don't mind a really low standard of living if, if I fail. <laughs> so with that said, people that go into debt and double down and put it all on the line for something, as long as they're really passionate about it and they know the downside, don't be, don't go in blind, but I'm okay with that person too. Um, well, for, people so, that are so going all in, the, on, you know, put aside I mean, the yeah, philosophy yeah. of like what, how you should approach your finances. What about just, do you have any like tools or techniques you use to just track it. So whatever your risk tolerance is, are you sort of tracking your personal finances in the same way that you do your business finances? Yes. So I used to before I had a business because I I just love the exercise. Now that I have a business, I have found like I personally use Hmm. mint.com or mint the app, I guess is where I do most of my time. Um, I found that anything that required much input I would skip it for a handful of months and then it becomes worthless yeah. where mint does a lot of it for you. Um, and that, and that can work, that can work really well. I think, you know, keeping track, you just basic things are always important. Budgeting, even if it's at a really high level, I don't think you have to get super granular and track how much you did on groceries every single month, but just in total, how much extra do I want at the end of the month? 
you know, and based on I've got this credit card and this and that, you know, having a good way so you actually understand how much did you end up up or down that month in terms of in versus out. Um, so, so I do think those things are important. I'd say find something that works for you. And my main premise with the personal side is keep it as simple as possible for you to have an understanding of how much I'm worth, what do I own minus what do I owe, what am I worth at any given time, and then how is that trending over time? You know, is that up or down? And that would incorporate how much did I earn and how much did I spend. But if you just focus it on what do I own, what do I owe, and understand that over time, you'll kind of have a pretty good sense on your on your personal side. And again, figuring out what you want that, how much am I worth to be in the future. That is the part that, again, I think um, it obviously gets hammered on and talked about all the time, but Americans are very poor at planning for that. And I think probably humanity in general is just they, we think a lot more short term than that oftentimes. So it's too late. Um, so, you know, keeping that in mind as well. One thing I've always loved about talking with you about these things is you tend to have a kind of easygoing, like rather than working against natural human tendencies, just sort of accept them and let's work with them. So you've never had kind of like a save X percent of your money or whatever. You've always, for example, said things like, Okay, well, you know, because I'll say I'll go through these phases where I'm like, ah, I'm not like spending too much money. I need to like tighten up my personal budget, whatever, and I'll be complaining about it. You know, we're gonna cancel Netflix or something. It's like nine dollars a month, and and you'll often I almost cried that time you said I can't watch The Lions this year because I canceled my TV, and I'm like, what is the you know that I don't know. No, so there's there's some things in life have an ROI that's hard to calculate. Very early on, you helped me. You know, I know you have this concept of like maximizing quality time in life, and and there's sort of a deeper philosophy to it, but in a very simple way very early on i remember you helped me think through some instance like this maybe it was netflix back when it was uh dvds in the mail or something and i lived kind of out in the sticks and you were like okay so you're gonna save like you know 14 bucks a month or whatever it was then for your two you know two dvds or whatever um and you said you know what so what do you do on like a friday night you and your wife are bored and whatever and you want to do something fun like you, Without Netflix, you might make a baby, and that's going to be a lot more. Expensive well, that's very, that is a lot. More <laughs> that is a lot more expensive. I feel like we should just end the conversation there because that was a total. That was a killer. Um, but you know, like, or with football, you know, I'll say I'm not going to have football any, you know, direct TV or whatever. I'm going to save the money. But then, like, when it comes close to it, there's a Lions game on. I'm so excited. Oh man. In the moment, I'm like, I'm going to go to the bar and I'm going to watch it and I'll, I'll buy a burger and whatever. It'd be like 10, 15 bucks. Um, or, you know, that Friday night we'll go, okay, sometimes we'll go rent a movie or go buy some food or something. And you end up, if you sort of look at it, like you don't really save that much money oftentimes, but by like focusing so much on just reducing expenses and not looking at the benefit that that thing brings. Like, well, what, how much value do you get from Netflix? It might actually be one of the one of the cheapest ways to get the kind of things you want out of life. And if you cancel it, you might end up going with more expensive ways, whether you mean to or not. And just sort of stepping back from this sort of like religious cut expenses at every turn um, and just really taking an actual look at like, what are you going to do instead? Knowing that you're human, knowing that you're probably not going to like only read uh, books that you already own and like drink water all day, you know? Like, what, <laughs> sure, um, sure. I, I've always appreciated that. You, you kind of have like a... I don't know. I guess I would call it an abundance mindset. You don't seem to have a really scarcity mind, like you're afraid of running out. Um, do you think that's just because you have a high risk tolerance or do you think there's more to it than that? I, I think there's more to it than that. Um, I, I do have a high risk tolerance and I, I just truly, I didn't even know that until I realized other people don't feel this way, but I don't like to me, 
I can be in poverty and have a car that has air conditioning and a radio, even if it's a total piece of junk. And I'm going to get from point A to B like anybody with a super expensive car. You know, like the bottom is just so high. So anyway, that's a again, another philosophical thing. But outside of that, I have this very much uh, – and again, I, I like to work and I like to work hard. And I'm, I've never been afraid of that. Um, so I've always – at any level of job, I've always thought spending can always be overcome by earning. You can always find a way to get $10 more, $100 more, $300 more a month or whatever it is. Like that's just – not a question. Um, so if you're spending a little bit more, you just might have to earn more if you're if you're finding you're coming up short. But again, that doesn't work forever. Like I'm not crazy. I don't. You know, I'm not like into luxury goods and spending crazy money on things. But just little things. I, I you're, to your, you're absolutely to the right to the point. Like if it's fun and it's good and it's not ridiculously expensive, like I want to do it and I'll figure out how to pay. Hmm. Uh, there's something empowering about that too, where you kind of set up the incentives in your life that that defaults to the assumption that you have value to bring and like you're betting on your own ability in a way. Now, again, you don't, you know, I don't, you don't want to like go into about hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt to the mob so that you can like show how confident you are in your ability. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But there is something to not being afraid to, um, to, to, to bet on your ability to create more for yourself. And I would say maybe along with that is the game is not fixed. You know, there's, there's a lot of ways to get inflow. You know, if, well, my job, I just got my raise. I'm not going to get another one for a year. Like there's maybe another way to make some money or to, you know, f- find some way to do it. There's a lot of ways to do those kind of things. Um, life is not like, you know, one fixed board game. It's like a whole series of them and you, they can kind of interchange or whatever. Okay. So Hor- let's... horrible analogy that just totally lost myself. Well, but... no, I mean, you know, <laughs> we've, we, you're huge on metaphors and analogies <laughs> You, we've been driving a car, playing a board game. We got a lot of good ones here. So they, they, they work. <laughs> so now you I, see what all my employees have to put up with all the time. It's, well, my favorite brutal. part is I'm like, all right, talk about, you know, tips for personal accounting. You're like, frankly, there really aren't any. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. Um, but truly, this is why you're, you're like sort of such a trusted and valuable advisor to me for the business is that you... I tend to overcomplicating because I'm not super knowledgeable on accounting. Uh, I think I, I think I got like the lowest score in history on your quiz that you give your incoming. Accounts. Um, I tend to assume that everything is more complicated than it is. And you've always been really good at helping me like, look, there are the only things that matter. So, so let's move to the business side. And I know you've, you told me once before when I first started Praxis, as well as a, a couple times along the way, like, look, there are really three things that you need to look at um, as a business owner. Can, can you talk about those, a, a basic accounting for, um, you know, people on the, who are owners of small businesses or who are in sort of leadership positions there? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think uh, I love to tell any, any small business owner, especially one that's not a finance and accounting guru, to, to understand three numbers about their business. And to understand them really well, to understand how they get there, what they're telling you, and to find and make sure you have a way to have those numbers updated either daily, weekly, or monthly for yourself. Do it yourself or have somebody do it for you, but to make sure you're keeping a pulse on your business by understanding three numbers about it. Now, unfortunately, small businesses are incredibly dynamic. And there's all kinds of different ones and different industries have different things. So those three numbers are not the same universally across every small business or every large business. Um, 
with the best entrepreneurs I know, whether it's a restaurant on, you know, a restaurateur, um, somebody that owns a bunch of franchise locations or, you know, a service business of some sort, there's, they always understand some key numbers. And the second they see them, they know if it's good or bad and how good or bad it is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So having that number and for, you know, a, a lot of businesses, there's something related to cash. Almost always. doesn't have to be if you have a ton of cash and it doesn't matter, then it may not be. I'm not saying there's, again, I'm, like you said earlier, I don't have a ton of set in stone rules. But my rule is you need three numbers, maybe up to five. Beyond five, there's too many. There's too much to keep track of. Below three and you may not be getting enough. You know, there's, there's like a, businesses are multidimensional and there's got to be a few things like that that kind of work together to drive your success and let you know where you stand. It could be your burn rate. It could be your runway. It could be your growth and revenue. It could be your gross margin, you know, and, and those three numbers may change over time too, as your business evolves and matures. So um, for most businesses, what are those three numbers? Are, are they, you know, is it that 80% of businesses that they're, they're sort of the same three numbers and then there's some deviation or is it like just way too different? In so, case? so yeah, I, Again, I didn't know exactly what to expect with this discussion. So I came in wanting to quickly define a couple financial statements in a, in a really wa- simplified manner. So let me do that first, and then we'll talk about a variety of those three numbers that might circle around those two ideas. Love it. Um, so, you know, accounting is done to generate what we call financial statements. And there's a handful of them, um, but there's two primary ones that that businesses, you know, have, whether they know it or not. And if you do your taxes, you know, at some point, at least once a year, an accountant is putting these together for you and filing them with the government. Uh, But the first is called a balance sheet. And I love to be super layman and really simple with things, as you mentioned. So to me, a balance sheet is this. It's what I own minus what I owe. And it tells me what I'm worth. When I take what I own, subtract what I owe, it equals what I'm worth. I thought uh, you were going to give us like an analogy about like a clam and a baseball bat or something, but you just came straight <laughs> out with it. So <laughs> I, I, I'm going simple this time. I drew it on a whiteboard, so I would just talk through it simply and not paint, not paint too much color. <laughs> um, so, so that's the balance sheet. And that's it, t- technically it's assets minus liabilities equals equity. Again, for simplicity's sake, what I own minus what I owe equals what I'm worth. Uh, The second financial statement that is, again, most probably the most important for most small businesses is called the profit and loss statement, also the income statement, the P&L, it can be referred to as any of those things. That is what I sell minus what I spend, and it equals what I earned or my profit. Um, So it's what I sell minus what I spend equals what I earn. Within those, there are there's a ton of detail. Uh, depending on the business and whatnot, it can be a little different, but there's a lot of accounts and things that go into both of those statements. Um, but in general, those are the two major things um, from a financial statement standpoint. And again, they're relatively simple concepts. Again, that's why I love accounting is that it's at the end of the day, it's it's pretty simple. Money it's, in minus money out. It's what I earned. So the profit and loss statement, that is typically a given time slice like in a month, I spent this much and I earned this much and the difference is my profit or loss whereas the balance sheet is sort of a running total to date what I currently have on the books of value and what I currently owe. Would that be accurate? Absolutely. So that's, a, that's, a, that's exactly right. So and I've, the one analogy 
I like Whew, the best. Glad for that. I got that right. <laughs> <laughs> is a um, a profit and loss is like a video that shows activity from a period to another period, and it could be a month, a week, a day, a year, ten years, whatever. And a, a balance sheet is like a picture every single day of mm. all that historical activity combined. Mm as of that time of the picture. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you could very easily have, you know, um, you could very easily have, let's say, a, a pure a slice of time, a month where your P&L statement looked really good. You profited, you know, whatever, $100,000 or something like that. And if you look just at that, you could be like, I'm absolutely crushing it. But you could look at your balance sheet and see that um, all the assets you have equal, you know, $200,000, but you owe your liabilities are like half a million and they're, you know, coming up in the next six months or something like that. So you're still, you know, um, so to just, I, I yeah, absolutely. If you borrowed a million dollars the month before to go and earn that hundred thousand the next month, you may or may not be that healthy. Yep. Does that make sense? So absolutely. they kind of have to be taken side by side and they both matter. And of those kind of three key numbers, I would say typically one or one, typically at least one of them is on one statement and two or so from the other, or maybe a combination of the two. Um, on the balance sheet side, on the O minus or own minus O equals worth, cash is very oftentimes something a business owner wants to keep track of. If you're tight, literally how much money is in the bank today is probably the very most important metric you could possibly have, especially in the relation to when does my rent come up, when is my next payroll due. And, you know, roughly how much is that? Do I have enough to cover it? Like that is just mission critical. So, again, we don't, you don't need to get much more fancy than that. Like if you're tight on cash, how much cash is a big deal? If you're not as tight but you're not super flush, maybe the amount in the bank doesn't matter. But the change in that cash over month over month or quarter over quarter, or week over week might be important. Is my cash balance going up or down? Um, more evolved businesses, you know, the ratio of debt to assets might be a big deal. Um, liquidity of assets, you know, do I have a lot of illiquid assets like fixed assets and things like that? You know, so it gets way more technical and I, I won't go too far down that road. So, so some of those things that are counted as assets, you know, your, what you own, some of them may actually not be worth that much if they're not easy to sell or offload in any way. So you might yeah. own a building that's really suited for what you do, but not many people do what you do. So it's not really... Um, something that you should be looking at as like sort of a, a buffer or a security in terms of your worth. Exactly. And, and maybe it's worth, you know, maybe it's gone up three times in value and it's actually worth way more, even though it's not very liquid. So def definite rules on these things are very tough, but understanding them in context is, is critical. Um, and again, it's to your business. Like don't become an accounting expert. If you don't deal with real estate and machinery, like what you just talked about, like ignore it. You don't need to learn all of that stuff. I, I run into so many business owners who are like, yeah, I need to go take an accounting course. And I'm like, no, just talk to, find out what matters to your business and understand those things really, really well. I don't care if you take an accounting course, but if you're growing a business, there's probably a million other things you should be doing with that time. Um, but do understand the ones that matter to you. Um, so yeah, other things like you, you kind of alluded to earlier, accounts receivable is an asset. But if you're never going to get paid on that, maybe it's not an asset. Or if you're going to get paid in, in six months, it's a lot less of an asset than if you're getting paid tomorrow. Um, but on the balance sheet, it looks the same. So some people track, you know, t average outstanding accounts receivable. How long do they stand out? That For a lot of businesses that invoice, you know, do big projects and invoice them periodically, that is probably one of your three numbers. My AR aging, 
is what they call that. How long until I get paid when I've sold something? Mm. Um, so again, there's usually one or two related to that kind of balance sheet side. The own minus O equals worth. Do you very find, often cash? So, so business owners, entrepreneurs are very often very optimistic people, um, and they're good at like seeing what they're doing as you know we're we're building something, we're moving towards success. Do you ever find that that can blind them to accounting realities? So, for example, you might say, "Hey, look, look at the." You can look at your numbers, and they can tell you a story. Like, look at all the accounts receivable we have, but. If someone was more, say, pessimistic, they could say, yeah, but based on a historical trend, we're only going to collect 70% of those. 30% of those customers are never going to pay. Some of them are going to take six months. And like, do business owners sometimes see what they want to see in their books, I guess? I, absolutely. They absolutely do. So how the, do you combat that? Well, again, it depends on where they're at in their evolution. If they're at all like tight on cash, at the end of the day, you can't really fudge if I'm running out of money or not. Um, but beyond that, if it's looking at optimizing the business, you know, where the business is good, but could it be better? Um, then yeah, that can be a very challenging education, honestly. And that's where, again, when I'm trying to consult with a small business owner and try to help them optimize again, I, I, I will never be better than them at their gut instinct at running a business. But if I can just paint some color, give them a little guidance of what are the numbers telling me? Um, that, that I, I love to kind of find those three numbers for them and really get them to understand it. What are those numbers and what are they telling me and make them believe it. And then when you show them to those over time, they know how to react. They know if it's good or bad, you know, when you can bring that to their attention and make it make sense. Um, it, it really it is powerful. And again, I don't find that they're typically optimistic because they're trying to bury their head in their sand. They're just optimistic and that's why they have a great business. We just want to make sure they understand the reality at the same time, which, um, you know, can be done. I've always been amazed at, I've interacted with a good number of small business owners, not nearly as many as you have, obviously, but I've always been amazed at how many businesses in this country, and I'm sure all over the world, are plugging along, making a good living for some people, serving some some customers well, and they're just, they have no idea like what's going on with their finances. And, you, and you've always reminded me that when I would get stressed about, you know, I got to dig into these numbers, or whatever you'd say, look, it is good. Have, have those top level numbers that you care about and follow those. But at the end of the day, selling to customers is so much more important that like a ton of businesses can succeed at least at a small level with basically no idea of what's going on with their finances as long <laughs> as they're selling. But the opposite is not true. <laughs> and it's sort of a good way to like, again, take the pressure off. And then it turns for me, at least it turns accounting from this burden that I'm scared of. And I'm like avoiding that I, that I know I should do. And I feel guilty that I'm avoiding into like an opportunity to get a better look at my business and not something that I'm dreading so much. Absolutely. And I think to your point, that is, you know, when I meet and consult with people and talk to them and then the Accounting is not a very good doctor. Um, selling more is an amazing doctor and it makes accounting a whole lot more fun and easy. <laughs> as long as what you're selling has an, a unit economic that, that is profitable, which, you know, the cost of generating that sale is not more than the sale itself, then selling more will always make you healthier from an accounting standpoint. I promise it. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good reminder. Okay. So you gave us the two most important financial statements um, 
you know, in most cases anyway, the balance sheet and the the uh, income statement or profit and loss statement. Um, talk a little bit about the the three numbers. So, if everybody has kind of three numbers that they should focus on, or somewhere in that range, could you give an example, like if you don't mind sharing, like for you, what what are the three numbers that you care about with your business? Yeah, no, that's that's excellent. So. And those numbers, let me give a couple other pieces of context, and then I'll, I'll address that specific question. Um, the context within those numbers is super important. So any given number at a certain period of time is kind of worthless. Again, if I said I have a million dollars in the bank, is that a good number? Depends. <laughs> if I had $3 million yesterday, it's not a very good number. You know, if I had a dollar yesterday, it's maybe a great number. Or if I borrowed $3 million to get a million left, it may not be a great number. You know, so there's – context is super important. And context is over time. How is any number I'm looking at compared to how it used to be? It is versus my peers that do the same thing. How is this number relative to other people doing something similar? And the more similar, the stronger that context is. Hmm. Your business, you know, for instance, like you don't have a great peer set, so that's tough. Um, you can take correlations, but it's not going to be exact where if you have a, you know, a quick service restaurant, you've got millions of comparable businesses and that peer set is really, really valuable to, to base off of. Um, but regardless, finding relative context between peers and your own stuff over time is incredible as well as some of the numbers against each other, how much I sold versus, you know, how much capital I had to invest to get that sale and those kind of things. So some, some key metrics to take any given number piece of data and give it context is, is really important. So again, as you're looking at these key numbers, make sure you take them in context. Um, so anyway, as you know, for, for my business right now, what I care about is growth. My year over year growth is a percentage I'm targeting very highly. So that's a sales number. Um, the second one I care about is my gross margin. Um, I'm trying to be more efficient. We're building automation into our platform. So the gross margin defined will get a little more technical than, than the rest of this discussion, but is the, the direct costs associated with every unit you sell. Um, so, you know, different businesses have a gross margin of anywhere from a couple percent, which is pretty rare up to, you know, 90%, you know, it can be all over the map, very industry specific. Again, context is absolutely king there. Um, but gross margin is an incredibly important number to many businesses, but to us, that is huge. As we invest in automation, the payback on that comes in improved gross margin and making more incrementally for every dollar we sell. And the third one that we care about is actually not really a financial number. And that was going to be one of the other things I mentioned is that any non-financial indicator you have that correlates eventually with financial results is also a really big deal. And very often I will encourage the entrepreneurs I work with to have one or two financial metrics, typically one that's really key, um, that, that maybe makes one of those three or maybe that's where you can go to four or five numbers you're keeping track of. But something related to the business that maybe is not showing in these financial statements. For us, that number is churn, and that is customers that decide to leave us. So having a very low churn is super important to me. I monitor that number religiously. So to me, it's growth, gross margin, and churn. <clears throat> it's not always what it's been. That's what it is right now. And you know, as we evolve as a business, those those three may change. Yeah, and that, that churn number is highly relevant to 
any product that has a um, ongoing subscription where potentially someone could be a customer for life. Whereas like a one-time service, like, you know, pool installation, for example, that's not going to be a relevant number. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. So um, if someone is listening, who's like, you know, a small business owner or just, just starting a business, or maybe they're doing some consulting or freelancing and they're trying to build it into a business. They're not at the level where they're going to, you know, hire a ceteris or, or pay an accountant to do a lot of stuff. What would you say? And they're like, okay, I get it. I love the idea of making sure that I know my, um, you know, I, I know my balance sheet on a daily or weekly basis and that I can, you know, check my profit and loss on a weekly or monthly basis, whatever it might be. I love that idea, Levi. I love the idea of getting my simple three numbers that I track, but I feel a little overwhelmed like on how to even keep track of these things. Where, would you suggest anything specific for getting them started? Like just open up a spreadsheet and do this? Or do you have a template of a spreadsheet that we could share in the show notes or anything like that? That's a great question. If you would follow up, I'll, I'll get you something you can okay, share in the show good, notes. Good. We'll, um, have it, we'll have it in the show notes when this goes. And on. also I'd say we are a, we, we are one of, if not the largest, uh, provider of QuickBooks online in the country. We use it for all of our customers um, as it integrates with our solution and it's part of part of what we offer. And I think they have a very, I know they have a very simple start package, kind of a self-employed package that we could get access to for any of your listeners for, I think it's a couple dollars a month. It's very cheap. And if they came through us, it's a little discounted yet. So um, anyway, that's something we could certainly help people out with if they want to actually get on accounting software. My, my simplest advice for that, and I give it every time, is set up a specific bank account for your business. Pay everything related to your business from that. Deposit everything related to your business to that. Do not commingle the funds. And legally, there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm not an attorney, so I won't get into that. But from a record-keeping standpoint, if you don't have time to keep track, at least if you have it all flowing through that one place, it makes it significantly easier to catch things up later. And as much as I think you need these three numbers, back to my original point, if you're not selling and you haven't built your product yet, figure those things out first. But as long as you set up your single bank account that everything goes through, if you want to use a credit card for the business, set up a separate credit card, have everything go through there. And again, do not put personal charges on it. Just keep it dedicated. If you do do a personal charge here and there, just reimburse it quickly and you know move, move it and really you know keep it easy and clean. But at the end of the day, if you do those two things – as the bare minimum, you're, you're really setting yourself up to make it really pretty easy to, to get your books in order at any time. That, that's such great advice because today the number of digital tools is so extensive and so many of them are free and things that if all you do is like, you know, I don't need to manually create these income statements or whatever um, if I just want to keep things really basic because basically my bank is going to do that for me. Or if I have that mm-hmm. bank account, mm-hmm. I can tie it into Mint or Clarity Money or whatever. Absolutely. And they'll Absolutely. do most of the work. As long as you just isolate it into one place, that's, that is the best advice I could ever give you. And just <laughs> do, even if you, set up, if you don't set up a, a legal business, you don't go through that, set up a second personal account that is dedicated to the business. And at least it's all in one place. And again, talk to your lawyers about the legal aspects of any of that. But in general, that's going to put you just light years ahead. It's pretty easy to say. I remember when I when it was like, okay, well, you know, got to get practice going and pay a few people a few hundred bucks to do a few things. And you told me, just set up a business bank account, get a business credit card. And <laughs> I was amazed. It was actually a lot easier than I thought it was um, to, to do that. So it, it's not. Yeah, absolutely. Not, so, ba- not so basically, this all comes back to 
reminding me that I should not have merged my personal piggy bank with that pot for our lemonade stand business. <laughs> I didn't want to hammer that point to make you feel bad, but yeah, that's exactly kind of the whole point of this discussion. Well, this has been absolutely awesome. We will, um, I'll get from you, you know, a, a couple links to, uh, you know, QuickBooks and anything else that you have, if you have any, any templates or examples that you'd like to provide, and we can throw those up in the show notes. Do you have any other final thoughts for anybody who, um, you know, wants to, to sort of be empowered by accounting rather than be uh, intimidated by it? Yeah, I, you know, as I was thinking about this discussion and kind of the audience, I figured, you know, this would be geared highly to an entrepreneur, primarily to an entrepreneur that's not a finance and accounting expert and probably kind of new to business and hasn't done a lot of this before. And maybe this would be kind of useful. But I think what I would always advise is, is an employee or an advisor, even on something totally non-financial, if you're advising on marketing or social media or something, or if you're an employee just working at a company, I would advise you to try to understand those three numbers for that business as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if that business owner doesn't have those already. And maybe it's worth a discussion to say, you know, what what does matter to you and why? And I think just if you're helping someone or working with someone to understand what means success is really, really important. And it can't hurt you and it can help you kind of learn and evolve as a professional as well. So I think it's important not only to business owners and entrepreneurs, but those that work with them and for them and around them. It can be really advantageous to just have this basic high level understanding, but that's fresh and real, you know, like where the few numbers and the few things that matter don't take sitting down and thinking and building a spreadsheet like you get to know them so well that they just they click. They make sense in your head, you know, like kind of when you master anything and don't make it overly complex. Find the things that matter. Understand why and and have them just kind of mastered. That's so powerful to put on that lens. And if you're in a, a company that's, you know, a little bit larger and has different departments, it may be easy to say, well, I know what matters to my department or my department head, you know, I'm in customer service and it's the, you know, number of customer complaints or the number of improvements and features we add to the product. And that's good. But if you can go higher and ask yourself, what are the things that matter to the owner? You may find that it's their top level concerns are totally different than that. And then you can sort of try to make the connection between how do these metrics within my department actually help contribute to those metrics that are the ones the owner's thinking about all the time. I think it's a really good, really good mindset. Absolutely. Levi, this has been uh, a blast, at least for me. Uh, hopefully everybody else got something out of it as well. And uh, we'll look forward to hopefully talking again in the future. Sounds good. Have a good one. Thank you. Too.